If you have a Bible, you can turn to John's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 8, verses 37 through 47. That's uh, only about half of what's printed in the, the bulletin on the next page there for you. We, um, we're going to look at that, that last paragraph next week. So, John 8, 37 to 47 this week. And there's some Bibles on the table in the back if you need one of those. Um, <clears throat> I know it may come as a shock to you, but studies show that fathers are important. Maybe surprising. Uh, I, it's probably not surprising. Pretty much everybody has uh, daddy issues of some sort, right? Uh, we talk about those a lot. Uh, These days, someone's father abandoned the family. Someone else's father was too strict. His father was an alcoholic. Her father was a workaholic. This father was stressed out uh, as a perfectionist. This one didn't seem to care at all. Each one is important in the life of the children. Each one has a shaping influence on his children. It's just inescapable. It, It happens. Everybody knows that when you go to counseling, you spend time exploring your family of origin. Right? It's not to be entirely brushed off. It's meaningful where you, where you learn how to be a human being in your family, those primary relationships. And, um, and when you go to counseling, you learn about how that relational environment of your childhood, your upbringing, uh, especially the parenting you received, it manifests itself in who you are today. You are who you are because of those relationships Sometimes because your father was a good example, sometimes in contrast with that, right? But in your reaction to that. But everybody has examples of ways that they, they swore they would not be like their parents when they grew up. But surprisingly, as adults and as, as parents, uh, we find ourselves speaking and acting just like our parents did. Um, we just inherit stuff from our parents that way. That just happens. So... Thor acts with kingly valor because his father, Odin, was a good, courageous king. Loki is a villain, and you just can't trust him because he's actually Laufey's son. He's the son of the king of the frost giants, the evil enemies of Asgard. Hopefully you're still tracking with me here. We're talking about Marvel. (laughs) Um, Loki, it's hardwired into him to be a bad guy because his father was a bad guy even though he hadn't known his true origins. The villainy just bubbled out of him, in a a sense. So Raymond Brown is a commentator on John's Gospel, and he says that, uh, he points out something that should be fairly obvious to us, a true son acts like his father. A true son acts like his father. We're not excluding women and daughters and whatever. This This is just, we inherit these things from our parents, especially from our fathers. <clears throat> in the scriptures, it's one of the most important spiritual truths communicated in the, Bibles, in the Bible, and it's actually one of the most difficult truths that Jesus communicates to us. Probably his hardest words in John's gospel are coming this morning, just to give you a little bit of warning. You act according to your identity. You act, you do the things that you do because of your identity, and you receive your identity from your father. It's true in so many ways, humanly speaking, It's true, most importantly, spiritually speaking, either God is your father and you receive your identity from him and you act like him, or the devil is your father and you inherit your identity from him and you act like him, like father, like son. That's what Jesus is talking about this morning. 
So let's prepare ourselves to hear about it. Let's pray, and then we'll read the Scripture. Lord Jesus, you conquered death. So we pray that you would conquer our hearts. You would help us to hear your words, hear the truth that came from your own lips so long ago. Help us to hear it and to receive it and to be changed by it. We pray in your name. Amen. John 8, 37 to 47. I know that you're offspring of Abraham. This is Jesus speaking. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> These are Jesus' hardest words in the gospel of John, maybe even in any of the gospels. Uh, there's no way around it. No one likes to hear this kind of thing said to them. So if you felt a little uncomfortable and started sweating when I was reading it to you, just know I was too. <laughs> so that's normal for us. In fact, um, in fact, it's unbearable for us to hear this. It's unbearable. If you wanted to get up and leave in the middle of that, that's not a surprise to me. It's unbearable. Jesus says, you cannot bear to hear my word. So Jesus is obviously not a golden retriever type of person, right? He's not a people pleaser. He knows people can't stand to hear what he's saying to them, and he says it anyway. Why? Does he just want to pick a fight? Well, in a sense, yes, but probably not in the way you're thinking. It all goes back to the beginning, all the way back to the first chapters of Genesis that open the scriptures up for us, that record the the earliest human history and interactions with God. God made humanity in his own image, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this God who relationship defines this God, and he made humanity 
in his own image for relationship with himself and with each other. And, and he spoke to Adam. He spoke to Adam. He revealed himself. He communicated. He was in relationship. He spoke. He gave Adam his word. And the word that we have recorded in Genesis chapter 2, it says the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. All of it, all of its fullness is for your pleasure. It's for your delight to be received with thanksgiving. You may eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And it's not that the, the fruit itself had some magical uh, property that when you take a bite of it, it kills you. It's not poison or whatever. It's that it represented a rejection of God. It's a, re- it's a rejection of God and a rejection of his word through disobedience to God breaking fellowship with God, yanking ourselves out of relationship with God, that would mean certain death. Ultimately, we're talking about separation from God. Death, as the Bible talks about it, is separation from God. Death is a relational term. It's a spiritual relational term. And the devil wanted to kill us because he's God's enemy. And that means the devil was going after our relationship with God, wanted to tear us apart. So the devil, who appeared in the form of a serpent... In the early chapters there, in chapter 3 of Genesis, he looked to drive a wedge between God and humanity. And so he persuaded the woman, Adam's wife, that God was not being entirely honest with them, was he? He's not being entirely forthcoming with you. Genesis chapter 3, did did God actually say, no, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat the fruit, You'll be like God. That's why he doesn't. He doesn't want you to be like him. God has secrets that he's keeping from you. God has ulterior motives. He's withholding good things from you. He's, he's oppressing you. You can't trust him. You can't believe what he says. The words that are coming out of his mouth, you can't, you can't hang on those words. You know better than God does. You should make your own path. You should go separate ways. That's all implicit in what the the serpent is telling the woman, and she believed it. She believed the devil's lie, and ever since then, we've all been enthralled to the devil's lie. And now it's a part of our core nature. It doesn't matter who you are. This is a part of your core nature as a sinner, your sin nature, to be suspicious of God, to distrust him. It's the way our operating system boots up at first. We don't believe God's word. We don't believe it. God says something we don't believe. We reject it. It's precisely because Jesus speaks God's word. That's what he's pointing out here. Because he speaks God's word, because he speaks truth, that's why we reject it. That's why we reject what he has to say. It's in our nature. Verse 45, he says, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. It's not some other reason. It's like, you just are opposed to the truth. That's why when I say it, you don't like it. You don't believe it. You don't receive it. If you don't believe Jesus, it's because you're not interested in God's truth. That's a big problem. That's a big, big problem. How do you fix that problem? Someone comes speaking the truth, well, you, you don't like the truth. How are you going to receive it? How are you going to be changed by it? It means we're on the side of the devil. 
That's what this means. We're on the side of the devil in his war against God. There's no natural enmity between us and the devil. We're allies. But God promised that there would be enmity between us and the devil, that he himself would create the enmity. He would create the conflict between humanity and the devil where none existed before. So, uh, as Jerry read in our Old Testament reading this morning from Genesis chapter 3, God is the one who says, I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So God cursed the devil, and he promised that there would be a war, that these allies now, the devil and humanity, who have allied themselves against God and his truth, that there would be a war between them that would end in the devil's defeat. God would put enmity between the devil and humanity, most precisely, between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. That's where the enmity would take place. Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. He's the woman's offspring. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he's the true human being. His very presence in this battle, his very presence in this conflict that we're reading about this morning, his very presence is the fulfillment of God's promise. And he says, yes, I came from God, and here I am. Just the fact that he's there in conflict with the devil and the devil's offspring is, uh, is good news. Here he is at war with the serpent's offspring, whom he calls in other places a brood of vipers. That's language you find in, uh, I think, Matthew and in Luke. Jesus talking to these same kinds of folks, and he says, you're a brood of vipers. That's not just meant to be insulting. That's meant to talk about their lineage as descendants of the serpent because they take after their father whose characteristics they've inherited. They've inherited their identity, and they act according to that identity. They've inherited it from the devil himself. They reject Jesus. They reject the very word of God. He says, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. We looked at it last week. He, he says to these very same people who had sort of begun to put their faith in him and believed in a certain sense, right? He says, if you abide in my word, my, if my word's in you and you're in my word, then you'll be my disciples. But now my word it finds no place in you. You're seeking to kill me. You do what you've heard from your father. You're doing the works your father did. You can't understand what I say, he says. You can't understand what I say because you can't bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires, which are murdering and lying. They can't bear to hear it. They can't bear to hear it. So they reject it and they deny it and they say, no. No, Abraham's our father. Remember? The good guy. We're the good guys because Abraham's our father. Jesus said, well, if that were true, you'd believe my word. Because that's the kind of thing Abraham did, like father, like son. Abraham was characterized by his faith in God's word. God would say some really strange things to him that looked like they just went right against all reality, like here you are 100 years old and you're going to have a son. 
but he believed God's word, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's something good and right about believing God's word that Abraham, in a sense, personified. So true sons of Abraham are those who are like him. They, they believe God's word too. When God makes promises, no matter how crazy they sound, you believe it. That's what Abraham did. But you're not acting like Abraham because you're looking to kill me. I'm the one who spoke God's truth to you. That's not the kind of thing Abraham did. You're not acting like him. Well, at least we aren't illegitimate children like you are. Right? Yeah, we know the story. Mary was a virgin. Yeah, right. No, you don't even know who your father is. He could be one of any number of men. And we have one father, even God. And now they're twisting what he's said about himself. And they're just insulting him. They're just hurling insults at him. This is no well-reasoned argument anymore. It's just a fight. They hate him because it's in their nature. It's like uh, so many centuries before when Joseph was sent out by his father to where his brothers were to seek their welfare, make sure they're doing all right, ask if they needed anything. But his brothers hated him for his dreams, for his prophecies, for the things he said. They hated him. And they sought to kill him. But you know what? They, they didn't want to be murderers, really. They didn't want to be murderers. They didn't want to be that bad. So they just sold him into slavery. And then they lied about it to their father. Right? Lies and murder. That's what lurks in the hearts of sinners. Because like father, like son. Please don't hear me saying... That's just them back then. Just those, those really bad Pharisees and Jews. Some pretty extreme anti-Semitism comes from a misunderstanding of passages like this. So don't hear me saying that the Jews are the bad guys. You're the bad guys. Anyone who rejects God. Anyone who doesn't believe Christ's word is a bad guy. That's me. And it's perfectly understandable because that's what we inherited from our father, the devil. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse and worse, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm guessing you had a hard time hearing me say that, but let's be clear, it's actually Jesus saying it. And apparently we need to hear it because it's recorded for us in the Scriptures. On your own, if you don't trust Christ... You're on the side of God's enemy, and that's no surprise. It shouldn't be hard for us to accept, obviously. We're living out of fellowship with God by choice. We don't want to have anything to do with God. So to be told, actually, that means you're on the devil's side against God in that war. It shouldn't surprise any of us. It's actually good news to hear it. It's actually good news. Jesus came to do combat with God's enemy with the devil and with his offspring, it's still good news. In John's gospel, you will not find Jesus casting demons out of people. That's, that's how this war finds its representation and its uh, manifestation in the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Jesus numerous times casting demons out of people. 
You won't find that in John's gospel, not at all. But you do see spiritual warfare as you see him in conflict with people, with human beings who are resisting his truth and seeking to kill him like the, like the lying murderer that the devil is. And the very fact, the very fact that he's getting into a fight with the offspring of the serpent is good news because otherwise there wouldn't be any humanity in opposition to the offspring of the serpent. We'd all be the offspring of the serpent. The very fact that he's getting into a fight here is good news. When Jesus proclaims the truth, that he comes from God. It's the most beautiful truth, and that all sinners, all unbelievers, are of the devil. He's fulfilling God's ancient promise to put enmity between the devil and humanity. It's just that Jesus is the only one. He's the only one doing battle with the enemy. He's the only human who actually fights the devil and resists his kingdom. He's the only one on the right side. He's the only one on God's side. But he's our champion. He's doing that for our sake. He's not doing it to destroy his his enemy when that enemy is us. He's doing it for our sake. He's doing it on our behalf for our good. Even though that means entering into conflict with us, he's, he's against us for our own good. That's one of those strange things the Gospels make clear. It's for our own good, ultimately, that Jesus stands up and says hard things like this that are really hard for us to hear. And the conflict here escalates, and it blows into a full-scale war, ultimately at the cross. The devil wants his enemy dead because he's a murderer. He says, you're my enemy. I want to kill you. He wants his enemy dead, and he thinks he has the victory when Jesus dies. But that really only amounts to the bruising of Jesus' heel. Even though he dies, even though he dies on the cross, it really only amounts to the serpent bruising his heel. Jesus has the real victory over his enemy. And that means love. That means self-sacrifice. It means Jesus not becoming a murderer and fighting back and striking back and fighting fire with fire. He fights the devil's hate and he fights lies with the truth of his love, which is complete. And he gives himself to the point of death on the cross. So he has the real victory. So it says in Romans 5, while we were enemies, we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He won the battle. Jesus Christ put the enmity where it belongs between us and the devil. He manifests the goodness and truth of God for us to see, and he wins us back. He wins us back to his side, to faith and trust in his word, and so he crushed the devil's head, which is a picture of him destroying the devil's power, which was the power of the lie, the lie that God isn't good. The lie that God doesn't love you. The lie that you can't really trust him. The lie that makes you suspicious of God gets crushed. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ especially, you see the truth. This is what God is like. He's willing to lay down his life for his enemies. Because of Jesus, because we have the truth of God embodied in him, because we look at him, we look at Jesus... And we trust that we really can know God relationally. And look, 
He's good. We have eternal life that the soul murderer cannot strip away. And now, because of Jesus, we can believe God's word again. We can stop rejecting him out of hand, just instinctively rejecting him. We can stop. We can, we can start to love again, really, because of who Jesus is, because of what we see about God in him. Now, because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we can say, like father, like son, and be talking about our relationship to God and not the devil anymore. We can become like our father. I can assure you now, because of Jesus, that you've received your identity from a good father. Never mind the devil or even your earthly father. Ultimately, in Christ, you have received your true identity from the Heavenly Father, and that means love. Do you believe that? Because of Jesus Christ, you should. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful that we can call you our Father because of your nature, your character, your goodness and grace and love that's been showered on us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who took our place in the war against the devil. It's the place that we should be but aren't. He stood alone against the devil and he defeated him on our behalf so that we could know you, we can know what you're really like and trust you and, um, and find real peace in our relationship with you. So we pray that you would convince us now as we look at Jesus, as we see your goodness and your truth and your beauty personified and embodied in Jesus Christ, especially at the cross, we pray that you would win enemies back to, uh, to friendship with you, that you would win your enemies even into your very household and your very family, that, that your enemies would convert, they would lay down their arms against you, they would respond to who you really are with faith and submission rather than suspicion. We pray that you would convert each of us more deeply because of Jesus, because of the gospel, because of what we see in Christ, in his life and his death and his resurrection on our behalf. And we pray this not just for our own sake, but for the sake of our friends who don't yet know you, for the sake of the family members that we care about who haven't trusted your word your word comes into a world that hates it, that doesn't want to receive the truth. So we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit. It's that work that only you can do in converting sinners to be saints. We pray for that work in our relationships. We pray for um, real clarity about what that work means in our own hearts and in our own minds so that we would be able to participate to whatever degree it is that you call us to participate in the sharing of the gospel. It is good news that Jesus came into the world and told us what you are like and told us what we are like and offers reconciliation through the gospel. We pray um, for this, for the, for the sake of your kingdom going forward in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.